This edition of Chemline is sponsored by Situation Hub. When your situation becomes a crisis, Situation Hub is the only software in the world that can write a perfect news release in under three minutes. Situation Hub helps NACD members perfect their responsible distribution communications with the media, your employees, and your community. Protect your revenue, reputation, and brand with Situation Hub. Learn more and get special NACD pricing at situationhub.com. Welcome to Chemline, inside the chemical distribution industry. I'm your host, Eric Beyer. Each episode, we will take on topics that you need to know as they relate to the chemical distribution industry and how they could affect your business and even your everyday life. Chemicals play an important role in modern civilization. Tune in to dig into the hindrances and helpers ensuring chemicals are distributed safely and efficiently wherever they might be needed. Let's get to today's story. Welcome to Chemline. I'm Eric Beyer, president of the National Association of Chemical Distributors, also known as NACD. In part two of this series on cybersecurity, we revealed how the chemical industry is under attack, cyber attack, and it's high time to get this under control. While these attacks are becoming more frequent and widespread, they have been developing in big ways over the past few years. The North Korea cyber attacks, for example, first surfaced in 2016, and their criminal tactics are still being used today. The Justice Department has charged three North Korean hackers over a wide-ranging scheme that included the attempt at theft of billions of dollars from multiple companies. Authorities say the defendants are part of a North Korean military intelligence agency. They're accused of trying to steal more than $1.3 billion from banks around the world and conducting cyber attacks that targeted the entertainment industry. For more, let's bring in Isaac Stonefish. He's a CBSN contributor, as well as the founder of the firm Strategy Risks. Isaac, explain to us how these hackers were able to gain access and how successful they were. They were surprisingly successful. I think we look at North Korea, we see this very poor, shambolic nation, but they have some very sophisticated cyber intelligence and cyber hacking capabilities. For more context, the North Korean government has repeatedly employed malicious hackers to collect intelligence and conduct cyber theft against financial institutions and cryptocurrency exchanges worldwide. These hackers have potentially stolen hundreds of millions of dollars to possibly aid and fund government priorities. The attacks have ruthlessly targeted U.S. critical infrastructure, prompting the EPA to introduce the ICS Cybersecurity Initiative. So what is this initiative? Here's Jerry Caponera, General Manager of Cyber Risk Product at Threat Connect to explain. So the ICS Cybersecurity Initiative was first announced, I think back in 2021, summer 2021. And it came about after the Colonial Pipeline attack, which you know, was one of those attacks that I think everybody, everybody heard about. The federal government today confirmed that a Russian criminal group is behind the hacking of a crucial energy pipeline. The Biden administration said it is working with the Colonial Pipeline Company to deal with the cyber hack and its effects. Colonial shut down its pipeline, the largest of its kind in the U.S., after the company learned it was the victim of this cyber extortion attempt. William Brangham is back now with the latest on that story. 
Judy, the FBI said a group known as DarkSide is responsible for this cyber attack, which used what is known as ransomware. Ransomware is malicious computer code that blocks an owner's access to their computer network until a ransom gets paid. Colonial operates a 5,500 mile long pipeline that carries almost half the jet fuel and gasoline that's delivered along the East Coast. When they announced the ICS program, they were going to bolster protection, I think, in 16 sectors. And they have. They've done a couple already. They've done electric, oil and gas, and water, which is great. Those are three critical systems. And now they added the fourth, which was chemical. And they rolled that out recently as well, too. They basically said, look, we're going to help kind of empower in these companies in this industry to get more secure. And I think it's absolutely critical. So I think what we're seeing, to be candid, again, is that convergence of there was something big that happened. There's a disruption. The government realized they're the ones who can and should be really cutting across the entire sector to help to make sure we're all protected as best we can. I think the other big thing when it comes to chemical and ICS is the operational technologies that they use are no longer these giant systems that used to be custom built for just ICS and nothing else. Now they're starting to go. And again, this is a cost factor as well as a lot of things, but those are really expensive systems. And if they can get off the shelf or commodity technologies, and do something similar than what they were doing with the bigger homegrown systems at a much lower cost, they did that. So, as we've discovered during this series, the cybersecurity challenges presented to our industry are plentiful. Here's Kelly Murray, Chemical Security Associate Director at CISA, the Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Agency, with more on the challenges ahead. The biggest challenges that we're seeing when it comes to chemical security and cyber incidents of course, ransomware, this hit the limelight in the Colonial Pipeline incident in 2021, but it definitely continues to be one of the most visible cybersecurity risks playing out across both private industry and government networks right now. We're also seeing continued challenges with securing industrial control systems. These ICS systems, oftentimes we're off the network, we're off the grid, we're being utilized in a very low risk way. And as they are getting more and more automated and requiring more access, that is a security challenge to make sure that we are keeping these security elements as part of these systems. Nation state actors, definitely another risk area for us, knowing those foreign governments are targeting private entities. Phishing and spear phishing, which is becoming increasingly sophisticated and more difficult to detect. I know we do training on our computers all the time, trying to get folks to click on links and they are getting quite creative there. And then of course, supply chain challenges as we are seeing that spike in fraudulent orders and purchases is definitely another aspect of the cyber concern. Where do we go from here? This is where CFATS, or Chemical Facility Anti-Terrorism Standards, comes into play. It's the first U.S. regulatory program to focus explicitly on the security measures of high-risk chemical facilities. The program was first initiated in 2007 and has since faced much scrutiny over the years. Here's Doug Lee, Senior Director of Legislative Affairs here at NACD, with insight on CFATS and why we believe reauthorization is pertinent. The first long-term reauthorization of the CFATS program was passed in December of 2014, and that provided a four-year reauthorization that kicked it till January 2019. 
Leading up to January 2019's expiration date, Republicans and Democrats in the House and Senate were unable to coalesce around any legislation to reauthorize the program. And in my opinion, the reason for this boils down to a fundamental disagreement surrounding the purpose of the CFATS program. While Republicans favored keeping the program strictly focused on security of chemical facilities, Democrats believe the program should also include safety and environmental regulations as well. At the final hour before CFATS was set to sunset in 2019, Congress was able to pass a 15-month reauthorization that extended the program date to April 18, 2020. This basically just kicked the can down the road and allowed the committee's jurisdiction in the House and Senate to continue negotiating with a hope of a longer-term reauthorization without having the program sunset. Unfortunately, those additional 15 months were not enough time for both sides to agree to any long-term reauthorization, and we found ourselves in a very similar spot heading into April 2020, and this time we had the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic looming over the expiration date. So with both sides realizing a deal was not going to materialize with the impact of COVID-19 becoming their priority number one in Congress, Congress agreed to uh, another short-term extension that this time pushed the deadline back three months to July 23rd, 2020. And this extension was actually included in one of the large COVID relief packages, the CARES Act. And once again, even though lawmakers had hoped those additional three months would allow them to reach a longer term deal, it became clear the pandemic was making any progress for a long-term bipartisan deal with some changes made to the program, it just was not gonna happen. So this led to both sides realizing, given the current environment and the uncertainty about when we'd be back to normal everyday life, lawmakers on both sides of the aisle agreed to pass a clean three-year reauthorization that pushed the expiration date until July 27th, 2023. If CFAT's reauthorization is as practical as Doug just explained, then why has it been an uphill battle? Well, leaders from across the aisle can't seem to find common ground. When you get into the weeds of it and the actual policy of it, uh, came down to the just disagreements between uh, Republicans and Democrats about the inclusion of certain safety and environmental, environmental justice regulations and requirements for the program. Some of those would be the confidentiality of site security plans, which Democrats want them to be made publicly available. Our position is that that goes against the purpose of the program. When you're giving your site security plan over to the public, they can look at it and potentially find vulnerabilities and exploit those. Some other ones are whistleblower protections. Democrats wanted to expand whistleblower protections last time around. Our position there is that the Department of Labor can already do this in its current position and has the authority to do so. So there's really no need to expand on anything legislatively. Um, and then, like I said, environmental justice, climate change and environmental resiliency and hazard reduction, just trying to make this program have more elements of uh, environmental safety opposed to security, which is obviously the focus of the CFAS program. And finally, last but not least, inherently safer technologies, which in many cases, such approaches are not really feasible from a either technical or a cost perspective uh, for our membership in the CFAS regulated community and can actually introduce some unintended consequences and shift risks. The current regulatory programs already encourage facilities to incorporate these principles in their facilities where it's feasible. We as an industry don't think that that's a necessary direction for the program to go in. So what happens if authorization expires? What vulnerabilities will this open our membership up to? More on that from Doug. Unlike most other regulatory programs, when the CFATS program authorization expires, the program essentially dissolves and those who work in CISA under CFATS, they will be sent off to other programs within the CISA 
and DHS uh, umbrella. So most other uh, regulations, they will continue going on even if the authorization has expired. But because of the way that this was initially written back in the early 2000s, post 9-11, it makes it so the program ceases to exist. And in terms of opening our membership up to vulnerabilities, I think that's a fairly obvious one. If we don't have the, if we're not able to work with DHS and the great folks over the CFAS program to help us secure our facilities as, as you're either building out or they have different products coming in, or maybe you're just becoming tiered within a CFAS facility, not having that back and forth with DHS and those experts in the CFAS program can really leave many vulnerable areas of your facility uh, open to bad actors potentially to exploit. Opening up chemical facilities to vulnerabilities is the last thing anyone wants. So how can we get involved in the fight to reauthorize CFETs? Doug says that NA City members should start by heading to NA City's advocacy website, chem-reactions.com, to stay up to date on essential bills being monitored by the NA City team. Sending a quick letter to your representative, letting them know that the CFAS program is set to expire in July and how important it is to reauthorize is another great way to use your voice. This is something that the regulation of the industry overwhelmingly supports and that is critical that they don't let it expire given the, the nature of the program would have it dissolve past expiration date opposed to continue running without that concrete reauthorization passed by Congress. Additionally, I encourage our members to join us for NACD's annual Washington Fly-In this year on May 10th and 11th. This event gives attendees the opportunity to meet face-to-face with their members of Congress and to discuss issues important to our industry, such as the looming CFATS expiration date and why reauthorization is so critical. And with that comes the end of our three-part series on cybersecurity. As we wrap up this series, we want to leave you with this. In order to best protect our chemical facilities, CFAS reauthorization must happen. No more temporary reauthorization. We need long-term solutions. CFATS is the embodiment of successful partnership between federal agencies and industry. This program has resulted in regular dialogue between political parties to ensure ongoing success for a comprehensive, sound, and effective program. No matter which side of the aisle you find yourself on, We should all be proud of this ongoing effort. CFATS is a true case study of a flourishing collaboration between government and industry to ensure the proper execution of a vital security program for a critical sector of the American economy, period. But now you've heard the facts. So what do you think? If you have questions regarding the material covered during this three-part series, please reach out to our team at communications at NACD.com. Next up on ChemLine, we will dive into the reinstated Superfund tax and what this resurrection has meant for our members and the chemical distribution industry as a whole. Thank you for tuning in to ChemLine. If you like what you heard, please like, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. Find us on social media at at the National Association of Chemical Distributors on LinkedIn and at NACD underscore RD on Twitter. Don't hesitate to reach out to us with story ideas, questions, or concerns. We can be reached at communications at NACD.com. For now, we'll catch you on the next episode of ChemLine.